I have a pretty divisive stance on this, and I know not everyone's going to agree, and that's okay. I don't believe that there is such a thing as a born leader. I met a number of babies in my life, and none of them were in a position to lead others. That's Summer Davis, a 15-year award-winning leadership development expert focused on cultivating thriving work environments where people feel equipped, capable, valued, and connected. Summer has been coaching, teaching, and studying leaders around the world. She lives in Parker, Colorado. You are listening to Dear Human Resources, and I'm your host, Marilyn Germain. In this show, Summer is going to talk about the role of empathy and emotional intelligence in leadership development. Good to have you on the show, Summer. Oh, it's a delight to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. So in academic research, we often make the distinction between managers and leaders. And we often argue that not everyone is really cut out to be a leader or should be a leader for that matter. What is your take on that? If you spend some time in academia, you know this for sure. The research is pretty clear. It's not the right path for everyone to go forward and lead people. And to me, in this particular setting, it doesn't matter so much what you call them, whether you call them managers or leaders. If they're in charge of people, if they're responsible for people, they really should have that at their core desire to do so. And not everyone does. But so often, and I'm sure you've seen this as well, Uh, We have situations where organizations just aren't structured to allow any upward mobility if you're not interested in leading people or not capable of leading people. And so folks often tend to get into those roles and kind of get stuck because there isn't another way upward in their organization. And perhaps they are tremendous thought leader and could contribute in really powerful ways to their organization. But because of that structure, And perhaps because of their natural inclination or personal desires, they don't really lean into that people leadership side. We see some some stumbling for folks that is a bit unfortunate. So emotional intelligence has gained a lot of attention Mm -hmm. since Daniel Goldman's book of the same name in the 1990s. Goldman posits that IQ is not sufficient to be successful in the workplace. What do you tell leaders you coach about emotional intelligence, which is also referred to sometimes as EQ. So I think that this is one of the most critical foundational skills that folks who lead people absolutely must have. And it's such an interesting conversation because oftentimes what I see is really smart people who have incredibly high IQ getting in their own way because they've leveraged that IQ for so long that it's gotten them to the position of being able to lead others. And they forget that it's not their own intelligence that's going to take them to the next step and be able to unlock the absolute magic that can come from unlocking a team through development and great leadership. It's their ability to then pull back from their own IQ and leverage their emotional intelligence to be able to build things like connection with their team, start to build trust both with the individual members in their team, but also amongst the team as a group. Those types of things require emotional intelligence. That can be a little bit of a different ballgame. And for folks who are incredibly smart, sometimes that's really hard to step back from relying on that natural skill set and get into leveraging that emotional skill set. 
one of the trends that I see often is that people miss a critical step in the early days of transitioning to being a leader, and they don't get some of the basic foundational skills like how do you prioritize work? How do you delegate? How do you give feedback? What's the difference between coaching and mentoring? These type of technical skills, I might call them. And because they're stumbling with some technical skills, they get so caught up in that, that they don't go back and they start to lose the ability to rely on their emotional intelligence. And and I would argue all humans are born with that, but sometimes the noise in our world, in our systems, in our organizations is so loud that we're not able to tap back into that emotional intelligence in the moments that we need it most because we're busy struggling with all these foundational skills that I mentioned. Have you ever questioned how some of the people you coached rose to a leadership position? In other words, have you ever thought that they should not have ascended to a leadership position because they were ill-prepared for the role? I wouldn't say that I've ever run up to somebody that I said, oh, you don't deserve to be in this seat. I would say most of the people I encounter haven't gotten a fair go to get them prepared. So I'll share a story with you. I was working with a team and the team itself was just really struggling. They were in a place where they couldn't come up with any new ideas. And the senior leadership kept saying, gosh, yes, you haven't brought me anything new, exciting or innovative in five years. You know, what's going on? This is a this is a performance problem. And that really started to boil down to this particular leader. And the leader, when that person was an individual contributor, could come up with a thousand great ideas on his own. But when he got promoted to being a leader, he didn't understand the difference in behavior of coming up with all your own great ideas and unlocking ideas in your team. And so absolutely his performance, his drive, he he interviewed super well for the role. He deserved his seat. And then the organization didn't do him justice in getting him the type of training and mindset shift understand how to unlock performance in their team. So great example of somebody who I would say well-intended, deserved the seat, but continued to underperform because his organization didn't help him make that transition effectively. So it sounds like you believe that leadership can be taught. Are exceptional leaders born leaders? I have a pretty divisive stance on this, and I know not everyone's going to agree, and that's okay. I don't believe that there is such a thing as a born leader. I met a number of babies in my life and none of them were in a position to lead others. And sometimes you do have individuals who happen to grow up in a family or in a culture or in an environment that helps them craft those skills early on. Sometimes you have people who have access to mentors early on or coaches or guides who help them build those skills in the early days. And so it seems like they just showed up as a great leader. But if you really get under the hood of those people, what most of them will tell you is, number one, they don't think that they're great leaders. They think that they still have lots of work to do in development because they're self-aware enough to know that they need to continue growing and developing. And number two, if you sat them down and asked them for their stories, they could probably tell you, an entire book's worth of stories of the things that they experienced and learned from that got them to that place of being a good leader. So I absolutely think leadership can be taught. It can be learned as long as you have somebody who's got the desire to be able to build those skills. 
I've never run into somebody who I thought, wow, this person just really won't ever get there if they have the desire. I guess that would be a blow to most leadership development programs or even <laughs> universities, right? If we, if we said, hey, leadership cannot be taught. So what do you think the top skills and traits of leaders should be in 2023 and beyond? There is just one skill that I would say is this is the most important. If you can't tap into this, we're in much bigger trouble and it's empathy. The ability to recognize the emotions in others and adjust your approach is absolutely critical. I also believe in the evidence is, is there scientifically that humans are born with the ability to empathize. And then all sorts of things can happen that creates a bit of a crust that makes it harder to show it, but it's it's in there. Just like if you are sitting in an airport, you know nobody around you. If somebody down the way yawns and you watch, humans' brains will start recognizing that and yawning back. It's an empathetic response and it's naturally hardwired in our bodies. So as long as we've got that in there, I think we're pretty good. And then there are a few just foundational skills every leader needs to have. And they're simple stuff. It's stuff like, can you prioritize your own work and the work of others? Can you delegate tasks effectively? This is the one of the biggest stumbling blocks I see for many, the ability to delegate work in a way that is motivational and effective. Can you deliver both positive and developmental feedback with quality in a way that it's actionable? Do you understand the difference between coaching and mentoring? And can you shift your leadership style to meet the needs of your folks? If you can do those handful of things, man, you are head and shoulders above most other leaders and almost anything else that comes at you, you may need to develop skills like visioning or more detailed high-level skills. You can build those if you have that initial tactical skill base in place. So as I mentioned earlier in this podcast, Summer, you reside in Parker, Colorado, and I assume in your spare time, you ride horses, you snowboard, uh, and you are, I believe, a beekeeper. Is that right? I am. We started yeah. beekeeping, goodness, um, before the pandemic, before it was cool, and it is so much fun. So I can just advocate if anybody's interested, get out there and try it. It's a, it's a great hobby. Well, I think you better learn how to do it before you do it, right? That, that sounds a little <laughs> dangerous. So from all those fantastic pastimes, what have those hobbies taught you about leadership, if anything? Well, I think we've got lessons to learn from leadership in all different parts of our life, but I'll talk a bit about the horses because this is a passion area for me. I've loved horses and, and wanted them to be in my life since my earliest memories. I was somebody who was just born with that passion. And interestingly, my family didn't have the financial means to allow me to ride when I was young. We were well below the poverty line, struggled with housing and food insecurity when I was small. And so for me to say, I want to ride a pony was like saying, I want to go to the moon. It was just never going to happen. And luckily, when I was a teenager, I was able to access a barn that let me work in exchange for rides. And that's amazing. It, it allowed me to build my skills as a young person, but it also meant that I didn't get to ride the nicest horses in the barn. I rode the horses that nobody else wanted to ride. Sometimes the ones that were mean or what somebody might call broken, had behavioral problems. 
And what I learned from that experience growing up riding those horses was I wanted to do it so badly, I would have figured out how to ride any one of those horses. It didn't matter. And every single one of them just lacked a clarity of what their job was. They just hadn't built the trust with someone or had the clarity around what it is that they needed to do to get past that point where people had said, oh, this horse is mean or this horse is dangerous. They were mostly just confused. And as soon as I, as a rider, learned how to first build trust, then provide clarity, everything got easier. And I ended up going on to to have really successful competitions and that sort of thing on horses that people said, oh man, that horse is dangerous. And it was just as simple as those small steps. And I find often when working with teams or working with leaders, if they can just start there, especially if they're in situations that somebody might say, the team is broken, the relationship is broken, come back to trust, provide clarity. You are absolutely going to find ways forward together, whether it's horses or or humans or whatever it might be. I'm curious, how did you get interested in emotional intelligence and leadership? As I mentioned, horses was my jam. I actually have an undergraduate degree in equine reproduction. That was my planned profession to breed very expensive, very fast horses. And life had a different plan. And, and it, when I was about 24, was kind of searching for where was I going to land professionally? I wasn't loving the work as much as I thought I was going to. And totally by accident, I had an encounter with an individual who was hiring for a veterinary hospital. And we had a conversation about how I felt about animals. And he said, oh, totally agree. Looking for people who have that same outlook. Do you want a job? And I wasn't really connected to the job that I had. So I said, yes. And I was put in in charge of this veterinary hospital. And I was in my early 20s. I had no leadership training, absolutely no business running this hospital. Most of the people, if not all of the people in the building had a bigger education than I did and more experience than I did. And you know, if I'm honest with you, those first couple of months were pretty rugged for me, for sure, and definitely for the people who were reporting to me. And I had kind of this watershed moment. I knew things were bad. I had an inkling the problem was me, but I walked out to a lunch break and I noticed one of my young veterinarians who had just joined us from vet school sitting in her car crying on lunch. So after lunch, I pulled her aside and I said, what's happening? Why are you crying in your car? And she told me, you know, I I went to school for so long to do this job I thought I wanted to do. And I hate working here. And I had this moment like, okay, this is more than just, I think things are bad. This is an emergency and I've got to do something about it. So this will date me a little bit, but I did what you do back then, which is I went to a Barnes and Noble in search of a book. Cause I thought, I don't know what the problem is. I don't know what the solution is, but I'll bet it's in a book somewhere. <laughs> and I ended up picking up a book on leadership development. It was an old school John Maxwell book. I bought it. I read it. And I was really candid with my team. I just said, Hey guys, I know things aren't going well here. I'm going to try to fix it. This is what I'm trying to do. Shared with them what I was trying to implement and just started to see almost immediate changes in my team. I started loving coming to work. I started loving seeing these people come to work themselves that particular doctor stopped crying 
in her car on lunch breaks, which felt like a big win. And I thought, this is it. This is so cool. You can make such a difference in people's lives by helping them figure out how to do what they do best every day. And so I ended up just continuing to pursue that, getting a master's degree in it and and having the unbelievable privilege to go on and do it for massive global organizations and uh, kind of a crazy story, but that's how it happened. No, that's life, right? Being at the right time at the right place. Fantastic. Thank you uh, for your insight summary. It was fun having you on the show. It's been so much fun. Thank you for having me. Support for this show comes from Western Carolina University, a campus of the University of North Carolina system with the technical assistance of Kelly Minnis.